0: Thanks, guys. This is the Dylan and Dan Roadshow. That's Dylan. This is Handsome Dan, you can call him. That's what I call him. Uh, later, you'll meet uh, Reed, who's part of the Rock and Reed. That's what I've called him now. He'll be up here playing. It's Dan's son, so he's going to go up here and play a song, so it'll be fun. Thanks for being here. Uh, glad to see you all. Uh, thanks for joining us online. For those of you who have, uh, we miss you. Uh, hope to see you soon uh and i'm watching my son come walking in the door right now and this could get interesting so stand by but anyway hey we are in the last week of our uh good Reign series where we look at the kingdom of god and how it juxtaposes between the kingdom of the world in other words how god's kingdom and how our political systems don't really match up and so we've been doing this for about four weeks uh, where we've looked at how our hope is centered on Christ, and that's the only place where our hope can live. And then uh, we talked about how this God's kingdom looks starts very small within us, like a mustard seed, and then grows to something that's uh, enormous and not and not even expected. And sometimes how the good wheat and the bad weeds have to grow side by side together, and it's frustrating because you see goodness and then you see evil. And you want God to pluck out the bad, but he's like, just wait. We'll judge people by their fruits. And and, and that can be hard to do. And then last week, we looked at the distinction of God's kingdom. That God's kingdom is wholly distinct from anything that we ever know. Wholly and distinct from uh, any Democratic party, any Republican party, any Green party, whatever party you are. That God's kingdom is not found in a political system. It is wholly and completely other. And this week we wrap it up by answering this question, who's invited to this kingdom? Who can come? Where is this kingdom going to be? How is it going to do? If it's wholly other, if it doesn't match up with any of our political systems of the day, then how do we get involved in it? And these questions aren't questions that we ask in a vacuum. They're not questions that only this age, day, and time have asked. These are questions that were asked back in Jesus' time too. In Matthew, as we lead up to this passage we're going to be in Matthew 5, Jesus was doing a whole bunch of kingdom stuff. There was healings, there was exorcisms, those are the fun ones. There there was miracles happening all around and people were wondering, hey, this kingdom is happening, what is this all about? And so Jesus is in this area called the Decapolis, this Greek city on the other side of the lake, and, and he's walking through and there's this crowd, and so Jesus walks up on this mountain and gives this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. It goes for several chapters. And in this sermon, Jesus gives us this clear picture of who's in, who's invited, who's this kingdom for, who can partake in it. And it is completely upside down from anything in that world that they were aware of, because for them, they had a specific thing that only these people and not these people can be a part of it. And it's weird because this two-chapter sermon, it goes from Matthew 5 to about the end of Matthew 7-ish, has been discussed and talked about for 2,000 years. The implications have been going that long. I'm lucky if you all talk about me in two minutes after we're done. And so to think about 2,000 years, that's impressive. It's, we're going to look at it today. But like most things, I like to know how things end before th- how I look at the beginning. I want to know what the plot direction is going to be. So here's how, this ver- here's how this whole sermon ends. Matthew 7, 24 and 25. Therefore, and it's the end of it, so this is like Jesus' uppercut punchline, right? Who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who has built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its its foundation was the rock. So what's the point of the sermon? When we look at this, it, this are these are foundational elements to know what the kingdom of God is like, who's in and what it means to be a part of the kingdom. This is what Jesus is getting at. So we conclude that Jesus is teaching us something that we should all take into our lives as we live out his kingdom in uh, while we're surrounded by other kingdoms. Now I had a moment last night uh, usually Saturdays come by. Uh, the kids go to bed. Carrie turns on her TV shows, the ones that I don't like, and then I go out into our makeshift garage office. It's like a mudroom off the garage. It's freezing cold in there. I go in there and I start tweaking with whatever I'm going to say. Now, last night I started reading through this passage, and I'm thinking, this is completely different than what I was going to say. This pa- I'm I'm not wrong. But I'm not fully on it yet. And so I read these, these beatitudes is what we've called them. And here's what we've done with them. We've made them into prerequisites for faith. We come at this as if Jesus is making commandments. Like another ten commandments. In fact, many commentators will say these are, 10, these are the new commandments that we have. But that's not what Jesus is doing. Instead, one commentator said, and it blew my mind because then I went back and started looking at it going, Holy cow, this dude's right. What Jesus is doing is these people that he's talking to on this mountain are present with him, and he's looking around the crowd like I'm looking around here, and he's singling them out, going, Blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. The people who are down and out, he's saying to them, You're in. He's not giving us in these, in these things a new law that we have to become so-and-so in order to be in the kingdom of heaven. What he's doing, is he's blowing the doors off of the kingdom of heaven and saying, this invitation, this invitation is huge. The table at the dinner party is ginormous. And you're all welcome. And so he starts it this way. It begins with this invitation, not a not a small one, but a grand one. And everyone has the opportunity to have hope take root in their lives. Because that's what we're lacking most today. Hope. Whether your hope is in the election, whether your hope is in environmental change, whether your hope is in your, uh, your homeowners association, we are lacking hope. And when your hope is in anything else besides Jesus, it fades quicker than the sun does in October. It goes down fast. And so Jesus is inviting people to a new kind of hope. He's not saying that we have to be this way because we can't engineer ourselves into the kingdom. We can't manipulate our way or work our way in. This isn't a sermon on how to be blessed. Rather, this is an explanations and illustrations drawn from this immediate setting showing these people how present this kingdom is around them right now. These are everyday examples in Jesus' world. So let's look at these lists of who's invited. We're going to go through them, one by one, all of them. And then the implication for us at the end of it. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, blessed are the spiritual zeros, the bankrupt, the deprived, the deficient, the beggars. Those without a wisp of religion, when the kingdom of heaven comes upon them because they don't need to know all the answers in order to be invited to this. We hear this word poor, and immediately we want to make it about money. We tie it to Luke's gospel, where Luke does the same thing, and we say, well, I guess we have to be poor in order to be in the kingdom of heaven. Not at all. In fact, Jesus doesn't never really condemns those who are rich. He condemns those who are controlled by money. He tells the rich young ruler to go get rid of his, to give away his wealth. If his wealth was the problem, he would say, go burn it. Wealth's not the problem, your reliance on it is. So Jesus isn't making a money statement here. He's talking about those who don't know anything about religion. He's not giving a new law that we have to sell everything. What he's doing is saying the morally bankrupt, the deprived the deficient, those who don't have a twinge of religion around them, they're in. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. The ones who have no qualifications, the ones who can't find the difference between Genesis and Psalms, the ones that don't know how to pray. I have a fr- I had a friend like this. He's, he, he was one of my favorite people. He died about maybe 12, 13 years ago from a weird infection. His name was Bubba, and I've talked about him before. Bubba, was one of these spiritually zeros, had nothing to do, had no idea how to begin a prayer or end a prayer. Does it start with amen and end with dear Lord? What do we do? How do we do this? So when I think of this, I think of the kingdom of God that was in Bubba's heart because he loved Jesus. He just didn't know any of the right cliches that we all do. Kingdom of heaven is for him. Can't recite three of the Ten Commandments, don't know where to go, the worst, they, they don't have any imaginations or any thoughts about God, And they don't even know if they did how to share them in the first place. They have nothing to offer. And Jesus is looking in the crowd and he sees some of these spiritually poor people. And he goes, usually religion keeps you out. In the kingdom of God, you're in. Come on in. The next thing he says is this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The ones who have no one left. Their spouses have left, either by death or by rejection. Their friends had abandoned them. They're paralyzed with grief. Perhaps they've lost their jobs, their businesses. Look around our world today, right now. Many people are mourning. It's in different ways. Maybe we don't know we're mourning, but we have a society that is of loss. We've lost businesses, we've lost relationships, we've lost the crowded room. We've lost the ability to come to church in person. We are at loss. Many of us are in mourning. And Jesus says to them, blessed are you who are in mourning. Why? Because in Christ you will find comfort. In the kingdom of God they will find comfort. Maybe not immediately, but they'll find find it eventually. The tears that you have will turn into laughter. Your despair in the kingdom Turns into hope. We experienced this in our family a, a while ago. We had a fire that came through California, because that's what California does in the fall, it burns. And so we had a fire come through, took everything. Dad was in another country, it was my mom and I, and Carrie w- was there, she was hanging out with me then. And so we, we had this fire come through and take everything. We mourned. But because of the kingdom of God, we mourned in a way that we led to hope. And no one understood this. Blessed are those who mourn. They're invited to the table. Usually we don't want to be around people with mourning, right? Because they're always, they're like, you're such a downer. Debbie, downer, get away. And so we push them out. But Jesus says, come on in. You're welcome here. Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth, the shy ones, the soft-spoken ones, the ones who aren't easily, inti- who are, the ones who are easily intimidated. They don't have an assertive bone in their body. They're not the first in line because that would be wrong. Why should they ever be first? If something goes wrong around them, they'll probably be the first ones to blame themselves. They automatically do it because that's probably what happened. They're meek. They'll never make it in business. In the dog-eat-dog world, they're kibble. They'll get eaten up. The rest of the world sees them as weak and ineffective, soft and a waste of time. Maybe they, have nothing, maybe they have something to offer, but when they do offer it, they'll say, someone else say it. It shouldn't come from me. It means nothing from me. Blessed are those people. We know people like this. Perhaps it's you. Perhaps you don't know how to express yourself. Perhaps you're terrified at the thought of it. Yet when the kingdom of God embraces you, what you'll find is the same thing that the psalmist found. That the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and that Lord is your shepherd. So as everything is getting ripped away from you, and you're getting taken advantage of, God takes care of you. Blessed are the meek. They're in. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. Perhaps you're one of those that loses sleep. On the things that you see on the news. I have a friend like this. She feels everything. She calls herself a feeler. She'll watch the news or have a conversation. And then something's wrong and she just can't get past it. It has to be righted. Even if it's something wrong within herself and no one else knows. She's up all night. Why? Because she hungers and thirsts for justice. For righteousness. This is her desire. And it's not just a passing desire. Hunger and thirst here is like this is what you need to sustain life. You need food, you need water. You hunger for justice as if it is your lifeblood. And when it doesn't come, it, it destroys you. She you hold on to this verse, and my friend holds on to this verse. Not that it's this magical bomb that brings justice, but to her this verse is a promise. Sort of like the prophets Habakkuk in the Old Testament. They look around and they see all this injustice. And they go, God, how how can you be silent in this? But in their hunger and thirst, they look forward to a day when justice will be served. When justice will come. And that justice is only found in the kingdom of God. Justice without Jesus involved isn't justice at all. It's just a signal. True justice comes from a relationship with Christ. Any justice without Jesus is hollow. Justice comes from Jesus. Matthew 5, 7 says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. We live in a world where the merciful get ripped off, they get walked on, they get taken advantage of, they get pushed to the back of the line, and the merciful are the last ones to say anything about it. My dad used to show what was this way, and this is how he ran his company, construction company. His workers would do something, whether they've been stealing from them or showing up, on something there was just this endless amount of mercy. And I remember asking him when I helped him run his business, Dad, why do you keep these people around? And he'd sigh and say, It just seems like the right thing to do. Someone needs to give him a chance. He's merciful towards them. Sure sure enough, something would happen, and this merciful guy who was shown mercy would take advantage again of Dad. It's okay more mercy. The merciful don't get very far in our world. They get pushed around. But Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for when they're exploited, they're in. For they've given mercy because they've received mercy. Blessed are them. Matthew 5.8, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. The perfectionist, you see them on Facebook, you see them on social media, they know the right way to spell your or your. They know the apostrophes, the commas, the periods, everything where they go, and they will point it out. Blessed are the perfectionists, because this rug is not in the right spot, and they'll know that it's crooked. Blessed are those that everything has to be crossed and dotted correctly, because it shows them that even though that inside themselves they might feel imperfect, in God's eyes they are. And their imperfection comes to completeness when they witness Christ in their life. Everything has the proper place with these people. And their problems, they'll find problems in your theology. They'll find problems and inconsistency in your worship. Yet when the kingdom God comes to them, they'll finally find something that satisfies their deepest longings to be pure in heart. To be perfect. They'll see Jesus. And they'll know his acceptance. And they'll know and finally find what they've been looking for. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called the children of God. Perhaps you've been there. You're stuck in the middle of an argument. Have any of you been in the middle of an argument? I have, okay. Raising hands, isn't, is COVID safe? You can do that. Great, thank you. Uh, you've been in the middle of an argument. You know where the worst place to be is? In the middle of an argument. Why? Because you're not taking sides. In high school we used to say, I'm Switzerland. I'm neutral. I want the best for both parties. Blessed are those who stand in the middle because they're the ones that are going to get hit with the most rocks. Blessed are those who don't take a side. They're called Blessed. For some of us, it's our jobs to stand in the middle. Whether you're in law enforcement, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a social worker, it's your job to stand in the middle. And it is difficult. Because when you're bringing peace, you're the one that gets attacked most. But in this is an invitation to this party that Jesus is throwing, calling his kingdom. Because you will show a family resemblance to the ultimate peacemaker. The one who stood between God and God and hell and said, I'll take it on myself. You show a strong family resemblance to Jesus. You will be called a child of God. When people stand in the middle, they usually stand alone. But Jesus says in the kingdom, God stands next to you. Blessed are those who are persecuted of righteousness, because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom. You're attacked for what's right, not just in the moment, but moment after moment after moment. You're doing what's right, and like waves pounding the shore, you're attacked for it. Either you're harassed or you're physically harmed for standing, for, uh, standing up for something, and you don't know when the next attack is going to come. But the invitation is this. The kingdom is yours. There is an unshakable security that's found in the presence of God. And finally, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. Perhaps you're mocked, perhaps you're blacklisted, perhaps you've been canceled. Whatever it is, because of your beliefs. Others can't believe you think like this. Others can't believe you vote like that. Others can't believe you like going there for dinner. Others can't believe that you like the Seahawks. That's just weird. Why would you? The best team is the Niners. Uh, blessed are you when people make fun of you and persecute you. So when the insults fly towards you, they think they're doing a world of favor. Yet Jesus says this, rejoice when you're persecuted. Why? Because everything else might be stripped away from you right here. But in heaven, you'll have the reward that will never, ever perish. So what's this all mean? And how does it take it? What does it mean for the kingdom? We could take weeks and dive deep into every single one of these. And perhaps we have. we, We should. Or I think we have. But maybe we could do it again. I've always been told, again, that these are commands for us. But that doesn't bring much freedom to this. As if we need to follow these In order to be in. These aren't prerequisites for us to follow. These aren't commands for us to live up to. What it is, is a picture that when we are experiencing Christ, when we find ourselves in the middle of one of these statements. These aren't prerequisites for hope. These are invitations for hope. The good news to the people of the world is that, those that though they are hurting and hopeless, these announcements bring assurances that whatever or wherever they find themselves in, they can still experience the blessed life. And here's the fun thing about the word blessed. Sometimes we take it and say, oh, it means happy. Or it means uh, that you're just joyful all the time. That's not what blessed means. Blessed here is a promise of something. When you're blessed in this passage, it means that God is on your side. God is close to you. God is close to you when you're mourning. God is close to you when you feel like you have nothing to offer. God is on your side when everyone else is against you. When nothing seems to go right. When everything called justice is fleeting. When everyone is trampling you. Those times you are isolated and you feel like you can't take part in the kingdom. Like you have nothing to bring. God's on your side. When no one else is, God's on your side. And what Jesus is doing in this passage is he's pointing to the lowest and most shunned of society and elevating them to the highest points of heaven. The invitation for hope is for everyone. Each one of these people listed in, the, or in society are the ones who they would consider outside looking in, the ones who have nothing to offer. Yet Jesus offers them the keys to the kingdom and says, "Enjoy." The repulsive, the repulsive ones get the keys. And so I'm thinking about this: who in our world do we look at and go, "No, they can't have it." The ones who smell badly, they're not in. The ones who are twisted, the ones who are too big, the ones who are too little, the ones who are too loud, the ones who are too old, the young, that person doesn't have any hair, they're on the outside. Sorry, I'm out. That person has way too much hair, they're on the outside. All of these things that we say, this is a prerequisite. Jesus says, no, you're too sick, you can't have it. Jesus says, come, I can heal. There's room for even these Not only is there room, the attendance is celebrated. The invitation is for the rich, the broke, the broken, the drugged out, the strung out, the terminally ill, the relapsing one, the infertile and the pregnant, the ones living on the street and the ones in the mansion, the ones who are lonely, the ones who are well-connected. The song says this, that earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal, and it's true. Revelation one four says, And God will wipe away the tears from their eyes, and there'll be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. In Christ, in Christ's kingdom, we have hope for the comfort we are looking for. You don't have to wait until you are dead to be healed. In all of these circumstances, the promise is the same. God is is on your side. Hope is here. Hope is for the taking. The Beatitudes also represent a present reality, the specific times that you and I will experience in our lives, maybe your experience in the now. What this tells me and what I can tell you is that any point in your life God is wildly available to you. You and I who follow Christ, who've experienced this hope of Jesus uh, firsthand, are the walking good news of the kingdom. Anywhere you go is considered a kingdom outpost. Anywhere you go, you take the kingdom with you, and with you, you take God's good reign and an invitation to be a part of it to the hopeless people that walk through our streets and who are in our lives, because they too can have God on their side. And there's many people who need hope today. Not just the hope that comes from their party winning next Tuesday, but real hope that comes only from Jesus. Or Not hope that comes from a job, not hope that comes from an account, not hope that comes from a relationship status. But in order to make that invitation known, it's your and my job, let me get the pointing right, it's your job and my job to tell them, it's your job and my job to take the good news to them in order that they can know, hey, we're invited to this. We can have this hope. We, the kingdom of God needs to take root in our lives enough so that we understand it and that we can share it. That we know that God is on my side, God is on your side, God is on our side, and God is on the side of people in order that they might find hope. Do you find yourself at times losing hope? In a world like today, do you find yourselves hopeless? Do you find yourself worried more than you can ever imagine? Do you feel always like you're out like you're on the outside and looking in? Maybe you haven't experienced the idea of God being on your side. Maybe that's a foreign idea to you. Maybe you never believed it. Today, right now, is an opportunity for you to say, I want that hope. I want to know what it's like to have Jesus on my side. I want to know what it's like to find comfort when I'm mourning. I want to know what it's like to find justice when injustice reigns the day. I want to find what it's like to have hope in the middle of being trampled on, because I'm tired of doing what's right and getting taken advantage of. Today, you can have that experience. Jesus looks at you because you're in the crowd. And he points to you and said, blessed are you. I'm on your side in this. The kingdom of heaven is coming to your front door. And all you have to do is say yes. Say yes to him. And those who have said yes to him, say yes again. And you'll find... Blessed life that you've been looking for. It's not a prerequisite because many of us are already in this place. We have it. Accept his invitation today. And if you want to know how or if you have any more questions, my email address is BRAD, the letter T, at churchbcc.org. You can email me, you can call me. I'll put my phone number anywhere. I'd love to talk to you more about this. The invitation is open come and have hope. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we can have hope, that you offer hope to us. In the middle of our lives where it seems like we're hopeless, in the middle of these places where it seems like we can't get ahead, you give us hope. Your reign tells us that you're in charge. Your reign tells us that you take the ashes in our lives and you make something beautiful. You take the ruins and you make palaces. And so God, we ask that today. That we would accept this invitation to hope. That the kingdom of God would take root in our lives. And that it would grow to something we never thought we could expect. Because we never thought that we could expect to be made whole again. We thank you for this. We thank you for your reign. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.